You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Oh man, go way to the left. Can we get through there? Power lines are dead. Oh my goodness, I would go fast. Dramatic video from the wildfire front. A terrifying escape along Highway 20, right through the heart of the Hansville fire. That fire in the Caribou region estimated at 100 square kilometers and growing about the size of the city of Burnaby. Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us. That's just one dramatic moment of many today with 14,000 evacuees and counting and wildfires raging across the Caribou, Kamloops and southeast regions as conditions deteriorate. The sun obscured by thick, choking smoke in some communities, including the airport in Williams Lake, making visibility tough and flying for many impossible. Sophie Louis is just south of Quinell tonight for us with new developments on another busy day for fire crews. So, mm-hmm. Well, Chris, funny that you would mention that smoke obscuring the sun because that just happened where we are. It was a brilliant sunny day here for most of the day. And uh, just in the last few minutes, that smoke has taken over. It's a very smoky day. You can breathe it in. You can smell it. And now uh, it's taking over the sky. We're on Highway 97 uh, between Prince George and Williams Lake. Prince George is up this highway behind me. Uh, Williams Lake the other way. Of course, the evacuation alert still in place for the residents of Williams Lake. They don't have to leave yet, but a lot of them have chosen to. So we've seen a steady stream of vehicles heading up north to Quinell and Prince George. The folks of Williams Lake, they've certainly seen what can happen in other communities when a wildfire comes to town, uh, including the Boston Flats trailer park community. 30 homes there reduced to rubble in Friday night's fire. And today our Paul Hazem had an up-close look at the devastation there, and he learned about the randomness of a wildfire's behavior. Driving into Boston Flats, it's hard to imagine anyone ever lived here. But just five days ago, families were enjoying life in the heart of B.C. before the Ashcroft Reserve wildfire flared up. Often when the fire's intense like that, there's not a lot you can do other than just, frankly, move out of the way. The fire started Thursday about 100 kilometers west of Kamloops. The 60-unit mobile home park evacuated immediately. Crews doing all they could to fight the inferno. You have fire burning through an area like this, high rank, high intensity, very high wind the night of the fire. Um, The main effort would be to protect life. Many items unrecognizable in this apocalyptic ashland. But every washer and dryer, every burned out shell of a vehicle represents a home, a family. For me, the motivation are the folks that lost what they lost in this fire. This is about them, not us. Our crews, including myself, we try to work as hard as we can to focus on um, what's coming next. This mobile home park made up of about 60 units here between Cash Creek and Ashcroft. All this devastation, all this loss, and yet a few units still standing. Just a couple minutes up the road, the Sage and Sands mobile home park untouched, thanks to retardant dropped in time from the air. But back at Boston Flats, it's flare-ups and not families that now reside in a community that was quite literally flattened. Paul Heesom, Global News. And here's an amazing sight. This bomber dropping fire retardant on the wildfire burning in Ashcroft just south of Boston Flats. As you can see, that fire still going strong. 
Well, as if being concerned about your home burning down wasn't enough, evacuees are now dealing with an added stress. Looters breaking into homes, as the owners of this property near Williams Lake found out. We mentioned this to you first on the weekend. They returned to find it ransacked, jewelry and guns stolen. And sadly, it's a story being repeated by a number of evacuees. RCMP today confirming at least 10 arrests. There is no tolerance for criminal activities within the areas that we have evacuated. And in fact, we've arrested a number of individuals in the 100 Mile Williams Lake for break and enter, breaches and mischiefs. You know, it's just sad that in a time of need, people are really trying to take advantage of that. And they're finding empty houses to loot and stuff that's not. I mean, if you want to steal my food, please do. You probably need it. But really, do you need a TV or a DVD player or material things? So here's the latest information from the BC Wildfire Service. This is what's happening today. 219 fires are burning across the province right now. That includes 35 new fires as of yesterday. So when you tally up the fires of note, as the Wildfire Service calls them, there are more than 37,000 hectares that have burned in BC so far this fire season. The number of evacuees could double if Williams Lake does indeed get the official order to evacuate. You'll recall that breaking news on the news hour last night that they got the evacuation alert. They are still on alert. The big fear is what will happen tomorrow with the weather. There's fear that the wind could whip up, perhaps even more lightning strikes. Uh, Tanya Beja now on how that community is coping. Holy smokes. A sea of flames surrounds the highway west of Williams Lake. The entire city now on evacuation alert. Can we get through there? I don't know. We're all starting to feel the effects of the smoke. You know, chests are starting to hurt and throats are starting to get sore. So it's time to leave. With bags in hand, residents check in at the local high school. Buses will shuttle evacuees north to Prince George. We got so many fire around Williams Lake right now. We don't even know what is going to come. Many aren't waiting to find out, lining up for what fuel is left and packing up the basics. In the back here, I've got water and some clothes. Fire crews work around the clock to build guards and get a handle on the 20 wildfires burning near Williams Lake. Poor visibility making it difficult to determine their size. We are asking people to be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. But members of the Tlatinko First Nation say they won't be going anywhere. Volunteers are providing the essentials to the community and staying to fight fires. We may not have a lot to, but what we have, we, we, we're proud people. And we want to we wanna fight for what we have, what we have left. In. Their fears the winds here may pick up Wednesday. And with the southbound highway closed, drivers only have one way out of town. You, you really don't know what to do. You grab a few clothes and you're gone. And, and then you, you just, you just want to cry. You're worried your home isn't going to be there the next day. Tanya Beja, Global News. Obviously a really tough time for those folks. Um, as we mentioned, we're on Highway 97 where many people have been heading north to Prince George. Uh, yesterday at this time, there were 800 registered evacuees in Prince George. And today there are 2,700. Nadia Stewart with us once again. And you spoke to some of those people. A lot of frustration for them, Nadia. Yeah, a lot of frustration. You know, as the numbers keep on mounting of, of people who are showing up at these evacuation centers, the anxiety is mounting too. They're worried about what's happening at home, but they don't have enough information. 
Okay, that's looking out at the lake. Security cameras give Penny Holiday a glimpse of what's happening in her Williams Lake home. I'm checking the surrounding area from the cameras. But for many others, there is no live stream. Frank Boychuk says there's little information he can rely on. Uh, nobody really knows. You know, first it's all wiped out, and then uh, just two buildings destroyed. And evacuees say Facebook chatter is only adding to the confusion. Because there's a lot of bad information there too. There's some sites that have uh, stuff posted after, like hours after when you know that it's changed. Okay. For 108 Mile evacuees, the frustration is the same. You're only getting dribs and drabs and half the stuff you see on social media is not true. It's extremely frustrating. Where, where's all the support team for here? The information has been terrible. We hear rumors, um, but we don't have a clue where the fire is right now. Those here say they do understand the challenges crews are facing. During an operations update Tuesday afternoon, RCMP say they and others are doing the best they can. It is a challenge all the time, um, and I can't speak for every regional district, every municipality that has their, their comms plan, but certainly uh, I know we're, um, we're getting uh, the message out as best we can. And, of course, being on the front line at uh, checkpoints and whatnot, we have opportunities there to speak to a lot of people that are coming and going. But the concern for residents is once they're gone, they feel out of the loop. Can't get no information anywhere. So many rumors, you know, and uh, nobody really knows. That's definitely something that we heard uh, from a lot of people today, too, Nadia, that they didn't want to rely on Facebook or social media. Too many um, rumors, too much fake news, to use Donald Trump's words. Uh, but town halls are being held. There was one today in Williams Lake, and, and there have been a couple happening. That's right. And there was one also in Prince George uh, over the weekend. No word yet on when that next one will be for those folks here in Prince George, but I'm sure they'll be wondering, especially now that the numbers have ballooned so much. Yeah, information so important. All right, Nadia, thanks for that. So, Chris, uh, obviously keeping an eye on what's going on in Williams Lake, uh, we will be monitoring that situation to see if it does indeed turn to an order. But they had mentioned Wednesday as being the pivotal day for them. So uh, we'll be watching the weather forecast for Wednesday as well. When we come back a little later on the news hour tonight, we're going to tell you about another wildfire of note. Our Lynn Collier and crew are uh, just a, a little bit farther south of us today. Chris? Absolutely. More uh, more good stuff from up there. And you bring up that crucial day Wednesday. Thanks very much, Sophie. Let's check with the expert right now, because Williams Lake will be watching what happens on Wednesday. The uh, evacuation alert uh, really relies on what happens that day, and it doesn't look good right now, Christy. That's right, Chris. So yesterday there was a glimmer of hope with some rain because of this upper level low, but that hope is gone now. The majority of the rain will actually miss the hot spots. And what's worse, we now have a risk of thunderstorms in those areas that are worst uh, affected by those um, by those fires, Williams Lake being one of them. Now, lightning and strong gusty winds will certainly be a concern, and that's why so many residents need to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And uh, we'll stay on top of that. Our wildfire coverage will continue on the news hour. Also tonight, he seemed to vanish into thin air. Seven years ago, Australian national Owen Rooney was visiting B.C. on a work visa. He attended a music festival in Salmo, got into some kind of altercation and ended up at the hospital in Grand Forks. After that, Owen disappeared. And now at least part of the mystery of what happened to him has been solved. Details in just over a minute. Donald Trump Jr. dropped some bombshell emails and the shockwaves continue to rattle the U.S. Capitol. 
Why even some of the president's staunchest supporters say it's big trouble. Coming up. And a teenager's tragic mistake, choosing the wrong moment to pick up her cell phone. Later on the news hour, why her family wants it to be a lesson for all of us. Well, a new development tonight in last year's tragic death of RCMP Constable Sarah Beckett. The Crown says no charges will be laid against a West Shore RCMP officer who tried to stop a pickup truck being driven by Jacob Fenton. Moments later, that truck slammed into Constable Beckett's marked cruiser. Fenton pleaded guilty to impaired driving causing death and dangerous driving causing death, and he'll be sentenced on Friday. Crown says it won't release the reason for not laying charges against the RCMP officer until after the sentencing. A sad end to a nearly seven-year-old mystery in the interior. 24-year-old Australian Owen Rooney vanished in Grand Forks in the summer of 2010 after spending the night in hospital following some kind of violent altercation. An extensive search came up with nothing. His mother, though, now says Rooney's remains have been found on Hardy Mountain at the bottom of a steep cliff just three kilometers from the hospital. Police are still investigating the cause of death and how he ended up there. The elderly man who was hit by a car near the entrance to Granville Island back in May has died of his injuries. A 21-year-old Surrey man was arrested for suspected impaired driving and is expected to face charges. The repeat offender who was pulled over for doing 210 kilometers an hour in his Ferrari on the Lionsgate Bridge is losing his license for nearly a year and a half. The unidentified 22-year-old West Vancouver man was caught going three and a half times the posted limit. It was his fourth excessive speed violation. The superintendent of motor vehicles has slapped him with a 16-month driving prohibition. Back to the fire zone in just a moment. Firefighters doing everything they can to keep the Little Fort fire from spreading. And in the rush to evacuate, how a slight misunderstanding produced a pink horse. Returning to our top story now, the state of emergency in B.C. prompted by the explosion in wildfires. Sophie Louis is south of Quinell tonight. And Sophie, just given the width and breadth of the fire zone, about four hours away from you in Little Ford, another big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one, Chris, is a fire of note, as the wildfire service calls it. It's actually three fires that are burning around the community of Little Fort. And that's where our Lynn Collier is for us tonight. And Lynn, although this fire is not enormous, the Forest Fire Service is calling it a fire of note. So what exactly does that mean? Well, Sophie, it's actually three fires, as you said, two fires, one of which is burning right behind me here on uh, the mountains on the east side of the Thompson River, another one closer to Clearwater, and then another one on the west side of the the Highway 5, rather, um, also close to Clearwater. We're about an hour north of Kamloops and about 20, 20 kilometers south of Clearwater, and we've been watching this one of these three wildfires uh, for a couple of hours now. This helicopter has been making dozens of water drops, and uh, it's just... uh, It's an amazing thing to watch, and it's been a great lesson for us in watching how these guys fight these fires. You know, they can't get ground ground crews in because the terrain is so steep. So they are trying to drop water down precisely on 
the ground area where the flames are flaring up. Each one of those buckets, by the way, carries 300 U.S. gallons of water. That's about 1,100 liters, weighing about 2,400 pounds as it plummets from the helicopter. They go back down to uh, the Thompson River here, fill up, and go back and make another drop. And as they're focusing on one area, another area flares up. So this has been a continuous loop for the past couple of hours. It all started on Friday afternoon. Residents say a small weather cell came in. There was a little bit of thunder and lightning, and boom, these three fires started. By the evening, residents were packing up and getting ready to leave. A lot of these fires uh, that started Friday were lightning caused, uh, but it was the wind that was fueling them. It was the wind that was causing them to grow so aggressively. And that's been, that's been the, the continuing challenge to our efforts. The biggest challenge right now is intelligence, finding out where all the fires are. It's very smoky. We're looking for fires and you can't see them. And it's a safety issue flying around in it. So uh, getting the intelligence and then determining what resources we need. And I know, so if we've been talking, uh, Christy's been talking as well about the big weather system they're expecting tomorrow. Uh, the wind will help move some of the smoke to give them a better idea of the size of these fires. But of course, it's also going to push the fires and has the potential of making them much bigger. All right, Lynn, thanks for that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible the how difficult this work is for those guys. The uh, conditions, the heat, the wind, the smoke, it's a very dangerous job and, and they're working so hard right now. Uh, so they need help and they are getting help from across Canada. The first of 310 firefighting personnel from across the country from other Canadian agencies began arriving on Sunday to help crews here gain the upper hand. They're coming in from Alberta, from Saskatchewan, Ontario, New Brunswick and from Parks Canada. The BC Wildfire Service also bringing in additional air support. They need all hands on deck for what's turning out to be just such a devastating wildfire season in BC. Now, no matter where you live, you're going to feel the effects of the fire. That's according to the Insurance Bureau of Canada. You'll feel the pain of these forest fires in your pocketbook. The Bureau says between the losses and damages from these fires, along with the spring flooding we had just before fire season began, and even last year's Fort McMurray fires, it's a virtual guarantee that insurance rates are going going to rise. Certainly we've seen uh, years of increasing activity. Um, overall claims will be reflective in premiums. I'm not here to speculate on what premiums are going to do, but premiums will be reflective of what, what's happened and insurers will also forecast what they believe will happen in the future. And Chris, we haven't even added up uh, the cost of all the damage yet because, of course, we're only in mid-July now and the forest fire season in B.C. is going to last for several more weeks to come. No Chris. doubt. Yeah, tough for a lot of people. But uh, on a lighter note today, so if we did see a little bit of comic relief shared on social media in this very difficult situation, describe that. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to laugh or else you'll cry, right, Chris? So that's the case here. Uh, check this out. Cindy Roddick's pink horse. She asked her teenage son to spray paint their phone number on the animal in case it got lost during the wildfires. That happens quite often in these cases. It's done with non-toxic paint. Well, apparently her son misunderstood and instead painted the entire horse. <laughs> By the way, the horse's name, well, it just happens to be Rosie, appropriately enough.
That makes all <laughs> kinds of sense. And Cindy, because there's been a lot of feedback, as you know, on Sophie on social media, uh, Cindy does assure us it's a water-soluble paint. They were in the process of washing the horse today, and it should be all cleaned up. No danger or damage to the horse at all. But uh, mm-hmm. incredible coverage. Uh, I guess one exclamation point on a very strange and grueling day for firefighters. Thanks for your work up there in Quinell. Thank you, Chris. All right. Well, there are a number of ways that you can help those affected straight across the province. The Canadian Red Cross says money is the most helpful at this point. You can donate by heading to redcross.ca or calling directly 1-800-418-1111. This Thursday, White Spot will donate $2 from the sale of every burger platter or combo to the Canadian Red Cross on your behalf. Cash donations can also be dropped off at Loblaws Group stores, including the Real Canadian Superstore and Shoppers Drug Mart locations. And London Drug Stores also offering to help people with any emergency medical prescriptions. Officials are asking people to avoid making donations to crowdfunding sites, which may be home to some potential scams. Regional districts are working very hard, they tell us, to coordinate food and medical supplies. And, of course, we have all of the information on how you can help on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. In other news, a Texas family goes public after a bizarre personal tragedy. A 14-year-old girl who died in the bathtub with her cell phone in her hand. Why, it's a warning to all of us. And the emails from Donald Trump Jr. that could get his dad in big trouble. Investigators are trying to figure out what caused this terrible tragedy in the U.S. military. A transport plane crashed in the Mississippi Delta, killing 15 Marines and one Navy corpsman. Investigators are reportedly looking into the possibility of a mid-air explosion. And there are questions about how much ammunition was stored on board. Washington, D.C. is in an uproar once again tonight after the latest revelations in the controversy over the Trump campaign and its potential ties to Russia. A bombshell series of emails shows Donald Trump's eldest son was eager to hear potentially damaging information about Hillary Clinton from the Russian government. NBC's Peter Alexander has the details. Hey guys, how are you? Hello. Tonight, what Donald Trump Jr. knew and when he knew it in black and white. On June 3, 2016, a trusted associate emails Trump Jr. that one of Donald Trump's former business partners had been contacted by a senior Russian government official and was offering the Trump campaign information that would incriminate Hillary Clinton and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. Adding, this is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. Minutes later, Trump Jr.'s reply, if it's what you say, I love it. June 7th, after trading several emails, the associate suggests a meeting at Trump Tower with the Russian government attorney who's flying over from Moscow for this. Trump Jr. agrees, adding it's likely he'll bring Paul Manafort, campaign boss, and my brother-in-law, Jared Kushner. That night, after clinching the nomination, Mr. Trump promises more dirt on Clinton. I think you're going to find it very informative and very, very interesting. The next day, Kushner and Manafort are added to Trump Jr.'s email chain. June 9th, the men meet at Trump Tower with Natalia Veselnitskaya as Mr. Trump trades combative tweets with Clinton. 
punctuated by this. Where are your 33,000 emails that you deleted? Within a week, the first in a flood of leaks believed to be the result of Russian hackers. There's no evidence the information Trump Jr. was promised was connected to that. The next month, Trump Jr. attacks the Clinton campaign for suggesting a Russian plot to help his father. Trump Jr., who's offered shifting explanations about the meeting, today posting the email exchange on Twitter, earning praise from the president. My son is a high-quality person, and I applaud his transparency. But the younger Trump only shared the emails after the New York Times says it informed him it was about to publish them. Tonight, Trump Jr., who says the Russian lawyer had no information to provide, is breaking his silence on Fox News, explaining his motivation for taking the meeting. Things are going a million miles an hour again. And hey, wait a minute. I've heard about all these things, but maybe this is something I should hear him out. In health news, a Texas family is hoping their personal tragedy will be a lesson for all of us. 14-year-old Madison Coe died Sunday in the bathtub at her father's home because she grabbed her cell phone, which was plugged into a charger, and she was electrocuted. Her family says everyone should know the risk. That doesn't need to happen to anyone else, and we want something good to come out of this as awareness of not using your cell phone in the bathroom as it's plugged in and charging. It's become the last stop for many evacuees. Well, come join our family. We're hanging out here. How the Iron Horse Pub in Lone Butte became sanctuary for people fleeing the wildfires. And the owner of the Empress Hotel, why he feels he got more than his money's worth after a $60 million renovation. It takes us on a tour. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Just received a memo from uh, a resident of the district of 100 Mile House, sorry, 100 Mile House, that says the district has just updated the evacuation order and advises residents who've been evacuated from that area that it will be in place for an additional seven days. So uh, obviously a terrific stretch, a great stretch of time away from home for a lot of people in 100 Mile House. Let's check the weather now because, uh, unfortunately, not a lot of relief for a lot of people up in that part of the uh, province. Here's Christy now. Yeah, I can imagine that's why that alert has been, or uh, the order has been extended, Chris, because really there's no significant rain in sight. And this is a scene out there right now. This is a live shot from our Penticton Tower Cam, and you can see how hazy it is. It's making it difficult for the firefighters to see the fires and, of course, the residents uh, to handle the uh, smoke. It's really choking them out. Uh, anyone with respiratory issues is certainly a concern. This is Williams Lake, the airport, actually officially reporting smoke as the weather condition right now and relative humidity below 30 percent. Now, the winds are what I wanted to point out. Through the day today in the central interior and down and through the southern interior, the wind gusts have not been as significant as what we saw yesterday. So that is good news. But yesterday, we talked about the fact that tomorrow we're now going to see thunderstorms. The winds are going to pick up again tomorrow afternoon. And even these areas further south that will remain hot and dry, the winds will also begin to pick up tomorrow afternoon. So we will be watching 
watching that very closely. Now, the Smoky Skies advisory is in place for nearly the entire province, from Prince George down through Hope and extending all the way east into areas like Cranbrook. But with this change in weather pattern that we're going to see tomorrow, we'll see a bit of a shift. Now, I know this map is a little difficult to watch or to uh, understand um, the, where the BC area is, but this is southern BC there, and that's where the majority of the smoke is. This is an experimental product that I'm using uh, to show the forecast of the smoke all across the south right now, but over the next 24 hours, it's going to shift towards the north. So areas across the south will begin to see a bit of a clearing. We're hoping for that, but the smoke will be focused in from 100 Mile House up into the BC Peace River area as we start to see more of a southwest flow across the region. We are hoping for a little bit of a clearing for areas in the south, but it will maintain uh, to be very smoky from those areas uh, 100 Mile House uh, north. Now, in terms of rain, it will be wet across the north coast, but hot and dry across all other regions. There's your forecast. So it's where we don't need the rain. Down through the south, a mix of sun and cloud. We have that risk of thunderstorms, and these are the temperatures tomorrow. Now, for the south, though, this is just the start of the heat. Friday, Saturday will be even hotter. We're talking about lower 30s across all of these areas, and we're even seeing some smoke across the northern sections in the Fraser Valley. Uh, We'll see that again tomorrow, so in areas like Maple Ridge. No rain in sight, as you can see. Very enjoyable for a lot of people enjoying summer, but tough conditions for those of you in the interior. Laurette Alexander celebrating 103 years today. Congratulations. And this is a shot from Quinnell from today. Thank you, Sandy Walker, for that. Seen a lot of shots like that lately, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, one of Victoria's biggest international tourist destinations has received a makeover worthy of its glamorous reputation. The Empress Hotel is hardly recognizable after a $60 million facelift. And its owner took Global News on a tour today. Linda Aylesworth reports. When BC developer Nat Boza mentioned to his wife that the historic Empress Hotel was for sale... She said, why not? And then the mind started rolling. And here we are three years later. (laughs) Bosa not only bought the 109-year-old landmark, he spent $60 million renovating it. We're looking at the new lobby. This took six months, and it's, uh, right now we got a gorgeous lobby. The centerpiece, a 2,000-kilogram crystal chandelier designed to complement the building's rich heritage. We just cannot go and mix something ultra-modern with what we have. It's got to be classy. Which is what the Empress was built to be, a destination for wealthy transcontinental travelers in the early 1900s. You can sit in one of those rooms and just stare at the ceiling and let the hours go by. Wherever possible, history has been preserved. Wood frame windows restored, much of the furniture in the long popular tea room refinished, and forsaken spaces rediscovered. You can see this uh, fabulous deck here. It was never used. It was just uh, absolutely abandoned. It's a crime. You got all this in front of you and not use it. There is a new bar adorned with images of Queen Victoria, a new restaurant and gold lounge for guests. And on the facade along Government Street, a new look. The ivy is gone. I kind of liked the ivy before. I don't know. But now it just looks a little bare. This way looks a lot cleaner on the outside, but doesn't quite have that uh, unique characteristic anymore. We had no choice. All the bricks and the stone was really in a bad state of repair. So the engineer told us, we're going to have to get to those bricks. 
Edwardian bricks and stonework that can now be seen and appreciated for the first time in decades. But if in time that fails to please, the ivy can always grow back. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Looks pretty good. Coming up, the rhyming Einstein. I can't just say whatever I feel or whatever I think. I have to fact check everything. Baba Brinkman making science relevant through rap. And how this pub turned into a makeshift wildfire evacuation center. Coming up. Uh, All right, some good stuff coming up in sports right now. Esquire. Yes, we'll start with soccer. Uh, international level. Uh, Canada began the Gold Cup of CONCACAF against French Guyana. And they had Whitecap 16-year-old Alfonso Davies scoring two goals in that game, and Canada won 4-2. Now, Davies and the Canadian team tonight took a big step up in class against Costa Rica, which you might remember made the quarterfinals of the last World Cup. So, can Canada do something against this kind of opposition? Well, they needed a good goaltending, and they got it. Milan Borian, the Canadian keeper, made some nice saves early. And then when they needed a goal, who did they go to? Davies. His third of the tournament in two games. Look at him just get behind the defender and put that in. That's... I've been waiting to see this from a young man in a Canadian uniform for a long time. one nothing for Canada. As we said, third goal of the tournament already for Alfonso Davies. How do they stop Davies? Well, that's how they stop him. After a goal like that, they just pull in his shirt. Just before halftime, though, and Costa Rica is good, they tied it. Francesco Calvo scoring here to make it 1-1. Now, you saw the best of the game with Davies scoring. Watch his right ankle. Oh, that is not a good turn. One more look. Just goes over on it. They took him out of the game at that point. They iced him up. Hopefully he'll be good for uh, Friday's game against Honduras. But that point that Canada got puts him in good stead to possibly make the knockout round. Solomon Alamimian named one of the CFL's top performers from the past week. Had one of the best performances by a defensive player ever in the CFL against Montreal. 15 tackles by himself. That tied a team record and was one off the league record. So how popular is UFC star Conor McGregor? Well, 20,000 people in Los Angeles turned up just to hear him trash talk at his first press conference to hype the August 26th boxing match against unbeaten legend Floyd Mayweather. And McGregor is a UFC guy, as we mentioned. He has never boxed before, and he takes on one of the best ever in Mayweather. But McGregor predicted an upset. His little legs, his little core, his little head... I'm going to knock him out inside four rounds, mark my words. The movement, the power, the ferociousness. He's not experienced this. He's fought people who have shied away from him. I don't fear him. It'll be fun. The press conference is maybe more fun than the fight. Uh, On the weekend, Canada's under-19 basketball team won the World Cup for their age group. It was another sign that Canada is to be taken seriously when it comes to a game that a Canadian actually invented. Look at that. They are jumping for joy. They're going to be world champions. And as you said... People don't really quite have an understanding of how big of a thing it is, but it's great to see that these young kids in Canada are playing so well and are proving that they can play on the world stage. What made this win extra big is how Canada got to the championship final. 
by beating the usually unbeatable U.S. It was the first time since two, 2011 that any age group uh, American team had lost. Folks, make no mistake about it, this is one of the most famous wins in oh. Canadian basketball history as Shepard goes up for the dunk. I think the moment I realized that we could get gold was at halftime of the USA game when we were up three. Um, and we just had great energy coming out of the court. Canada's star was R.J. Barrett, considered the best 17-year-old player in the world. He's a product of a Canadian developmental system that is now producing college and NBA players with more regularity. No longer is Canadian basketball a one-man show like in Steve Nash's time. Years ago, Canada basketball made a concerted effort to put more resources into developing young kids. There's more of an identity process now going in. They're spending time with, with coaches in a coaching pool trying to develop, trying to make it a world contender. One of the players Canada has developed is Kelowna's Grant Shepard, and he's adding to Canadian basketball by deciding to play his university career at UBC rather than the U.S. I think players are starting to realize that you can still get a great career for basketball in Canada, and it's just kind of like building on itself. Well, she may be 37, she may be playing women who probably weren't even born when she first arrived at Wimbledon. In fact, the woman she beat today, Yelena Ostapenko, wasn't born yet when Venus Williams first stepped on the hallowed lawn of the All England Club. But today, Venus Williams knocked Ostapenko out of Wimbledon and moved on to the semi-finals. She'll take on Joanna Conta of Great Britain. She'll be facing someone who's going to have a big crowd behind her, but maybe with Serena sitting this one out because she's pregnant, maybe Venus can pull off another Wimbledon championship. She hasn't won one since 2008. Novak Djokovic was a winner today as well. There you go. Amazing. What an amazing talent. Uh, I could say the same thing about you. You wear many hats in this building. You're the hardest working guy in uh, show business. Really? I've taken over the uh, mantle left by James Brown when well, he passed away. Well, you, you hooked up with this guy, this rapper, Baba Brinkman. Baba Brinkman is a guy from B.C., now lives in New York, um, and has become very well known, not just in the rap community, but in the science community, because that's what his hip-hop and rap skills are based on, science and literature. Extreme weather events, infrastructure risk is bad for business, so I made a list to help you keep track. And since you don't read, I squeezed it in a rap. He is an MC who understands MC Squared, a rap career that was forged when he equated his hip-hop heroes with his literary idols. I'm reading Shakespeare and Chaucer and John Donne and Milton, and at the same time I'm listening to Nas and Jay-Z and Biggie Smalls and Eminem, and, you know, to my mind... They were the same thing. Which led him to putting Jeffrey Chaucer to rap. Suddenly Bubba Brinkman was straight out of Canterbury. Back in the days in the Dark Ages when King Arthur was in charge of the round table. Yeah, that's right. You heard me. Just listen. It's a hip-hop version of an Arthurian legend. Like a lot of his hip-hop heroes, Bubba got provocative. Repping science with rap on songs about global warming and evolution. Knowing he would get negative blowback. I think it's time for y'all to let your minds evolve and listen to a different kind of silent call. I mean, I cultivated. I took the evolution show to Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, um, with the goal of trying to engage 
evolution skeptical audiences. I'm the manifestation of tens of millions of centuries of sexual selection. Best believe I'm the best of the best of the best of the best of generations of competitive pressure genetically. Some people might not like his rap, but it is peer-reviewed. No rhyme is fine without fact-checking it. I can't just say whatever I feel or whatever I think. I have to fact-check everything. And so I do my best to understand uh, the state of the field before writing, and then when I write, I'm sending the lyrics to people. Like a planet with low albedo, like me rocking a trench coat on a beach instead of a speedo. Give me the one line in your career that is like, this is it, man. Okay, well, one of our, uh, one of our ancestors is Australopithecus afarensis, and the line, it's not, it's not exactly a couplet, but it goes, um, check the massive evidence of Australopithecus afarensis and Homo erectus in the fossil record, and then try to tell me that we're not all connected. <laughs> so I was pretty happy with that one. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that guy. A bit of a stretch, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Took a while to think about that, I'll, but I'll I got it. it. All right. Thanks Thank very you. much, Squire. Appreciate it. Check in with Andrew and now in a preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. And we're keeping a close watch on the state of emergency in our province. With Williams Lake on evacuation alert, as you mentioned, a rush on food and supplies is leaving store shelves empty. Basic items are all but gone as people prepare to leave at a moment's notice. And Vancouver's heavy urban search and rescue team is now heading to the interior to assist in the fight. Six members of HUSAR, or Canada Task Force One, have been deployed to provincial emergency centres in Kamloops and Prince George. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, Anne, thanks very much. And next, sanctuary for evacuees, why no one is lonely in Lone Butte. All right, we're wrapping up uh, another hour of coverage of these wildfires here. We've seen a lot of stories about the outpouring of kindness Mm -hmm. and support for people who've been forced out of their homes by B.C.'s wildfires. And nowhere is that more evident than in the small town of Lone Butte, just south of Hunter Mile House, where the local pub is going above and beyond to help out. Erin MacArthur reports. Penny Dixon spent last night crammed in her pickup. Right there. Her two dogs right beside her. You probably didn't get very much sleep last night, And Nor the night before. No. Nor the night before that either. For some of the evacuees in the Caribou, this field at the Iron Horse Pub in Lone Butte has become home away from home. It was very smoky, and so instinct says, get away from there. And, you know, so then I ended up with next to nothing. The field out back has turned into a makeshift village. But the owner of the pub, Tracy Armstrong, hasn't stopped there. There is breakfast every morning for the campers. There is laundry facilities available, showers, whatever people need. You need to have some sort of belonging somewhere that you're going to be okay some safety and some security you know it's pretty pretty heart-wrenching the stories the evacuees can't say enough about the hospitality all over the caribou it's meant the world to them they have been absolutely great yeah 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 they've yeah they've been feeding us breakfast and they've the whole place has been open for us to have showers or do laundry and amazing yeah everybody's been really good all you see is like, we'll, put, we'll take your horses, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll help out, and you know. So it's really, really quite nice and comforting to know people are doing that. This is our girl. Armstrong has put in a larger food order for Friday delivery, expecting people will be in need for some time yet. The Iron Horse, one of the few places for respite, and the only highway open in the Caribou. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. 
you ever happen to be driving through Lone Butte, stop in at the Iron Horse Pub and say thanks on behalf of the rest of B.C. Uh, obviously, closely watching Hunter Mile House, uh, Williams Lake, those areas to the north, and, uh, and some thunderstorms coming. That's right. So, uh, 100 Mile House north, the risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. Further south, hot and dry, still gusty winds through the afternoon. That's what we're contending with. And smoky skies. All right. Our coverage continues here tonight at 11 and always online. Thanks very much for watching.